everyone, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and today I'm joined by a man who has the best mustache in American soccer. It's MLSsoccer.com's Tom Bogert. Tom, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? And maybe more importantly, how is the mustache? <laughs> thanks for having me, Joe. But but uh, the quick correction right off the bat here to you know you know embrace debate and disagreements. Um, I always <laughs> I always have to give. Credit to the patron saint of MLS mustaches, that is Sasha Kletchen, who is still <sighs> active and doing it at, at an elite level that I'll never reach. So I'll, I'll take number two there. Okay, I'll give I'll give you some props there for deflecting that uh, <laughs> that compliment to Sasha because his mustache is solid. Tom, man, though you are you're killing it. When did you start growing that, and are you tired of it being your brand? Because I feel kind of bad leading the show <laughs> with that fact, but it's just so good. So that's the thing. Like I had done it a few times in college or whatever when like, cause I can't grow like a full beard or anything. And, and so <laughs> every, like November's I would just joking around, do a mustache or whatever, do it as a bit. And then like when at some point over the last couple of years, I was like, Oh no, like this kind of looks normal. I, I don't know if this is a bit anymore. And then it slowly became, all right, I would do it like in the off season. And then I would do it for longer during the season. And, and now it's like the, the rare times that it's not on my face. Cause it's just part of the brand. It's part of me now. You got to embrace it. Bobby Warshaw's book, I think it's called When the Dream Became Reality. I think, Tom, your story is when <laughs> the stash became reality because it did, it did become real. The bit became reality as well. We're not here to talk about stashes as, as much as that kind of bums me oh, out. We're not we here to talk right, about I'm, something. I'm out then. Thank you for your time. I'll see you later. <laughs> that was a great two minutes that we did, Tom. If you do want to stick around, we're here to talk about the USMNT roster. It's all downhill from here for me. <laughs> The U.S. Men's National Team's roster for the October World Cup qualifying window that dropped earlier today. Taylor Rockwell isn't here with us. He says he's on vacation. I have sources, though, that say that he's been trying to figure out how to hop over the fence at Soccer House all day. So I'll let <laughs> listeners decide what they want to believe. But either way, Tom was kind enough to hop on with me to discuss this roster. 27-man roster for the three October World Cup qualifiers. We got the Jamaica game in Austin on Thursday, October 7th. Panama game in Panama on Sunday, October 10th. And then the final game of the window is in Columbus against Costa Rica on Wednesday, October 13th. 18 players are returning from the September camp. Nine players will be looking to make their World Cup qualifying debut. The roster is going to start reporting on Sunday ahead of that game on Thursday. There's some big headlines here as well. Weston McKenney is back in the mix. We'll talk more about that later. Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic are both out. Maybe they'll be back in. It doesn't seem like that's all that likely from what Berhalter mentioned in his press conference. Tom, before we get into the squad and break it down in more granular detail and talk about all the players, what were your initial thoughts when you saw this roster? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs somewhere in the middle, thumbs not even on the hand. Where are we at? <laughs> yeah, definitely thumbs up. I mean, this this pool is is really deep. It, it's unfortunate that Pulisic and Rain are still out. Um, I was kind of talking to folks about Geo that they were hopeful that he was going to be all right and ready, mm. and and the new target for his return from injury was going to be this weekend's game. I believe they're playing Augsburg or whatever. But you know, they would have known by the time this roster came out today whether he'd be ready or not for next week. And and obviously, with him not being on the roster. They deemed that he wasn't, um, and I know Berhalter left the door open. It, it was kind of like he said it on the front end. Look, it's really unlikely, but he he said, you know, I guess that there's a chance. Or hey, we we I, I'm not going to rule it out, which I feel like he didn't like necessarily need to put out there. Just just in the sense that I, I don't know what circumstances have to lead to this. Like if, if Chelsea and Dortmund are both saying that they're not fit, and Berhalter's respecting that, then you know what would have to like would one of them have to miraculously make the match day squad for either of their teams this weekend? At, and, and, you know, on Wednesday, they, they would know whether they're going to do that or not. So, you know, I, I really wouldn't hold out hope for seeing those two guys. But just in general, like, the roster is really strong. Um, we can all have our, our quibbles about 
whether, you know, you rate Zimmerman over Tim Ream or, you know, Joe Scali over Shaq Moore. But those are minor things, man. Like, or, or, or you know, Julian Green over Luca Della Torre. Like, there's nothing big that's wrong. And, and we have such a deep pool that we're, we're not going to all agree on our top 27 or, or however many or whatever it's going to be for the people that are available. But there's nothing egregious. Like, it's, it's, I think it's a really good positive time. And I know U.S. Men's National Team Twitter does not like optimism. It's not like... <laughs> It's not like enjoying good times. It likes complaining about the bad times. So there will be a lot of focusing on like, yeah, how dare you pick this guy for the 26th player on the roster? It was clearly this guy. You're a moron. Well, okay, well, that guy's going to play 45 minutes over the three games. So it's, you know, a, a lot of the things are, are small that, that people are disagreeing with. Tom, you're bringing the reasonable energy and I'm all for it. It's a <laughs> thumbs up for me too, but but more in, more in a okay kind of way. Like, like you're wearing a mask, imagine you're out and about and, and it's still COVID times. You're wearing a mask and instead of like, trying to communicate with through the mask or whatever, maybe it's loud, you just give a thumbs up because things are okay. It's not that it's great, but but the roster's not bad either. It just is what it is because of where the pool is right now. And that's what I'm trying to get to here. The pool is deep enough where you can quibble. I love the word you chose. You can quibble <laughs> over a lot of the, the minor things. And we'll quibble a bit later on. Yeah. And people had some questions about that. So we'll get into that stuff. But by and large, it's hard to complain about this roster, just like it was hard to complain about the roster that dropped for the September window. Baralter has plenty of options to pick through. And there are some surprises. There are some omissions. But there's nothing here that gets me all that bent out of shape. And I'm guessing for a lot of folks out there that maybe aren't on USMNT Twitter, there's not a lot of stuff for them to get bent out of shape about either. It's a good squad. There's talent here to get results. And and the talent, I don't necessarily think was the problem in the last window, even though the US did end with five points, which is an acceptable result from those three games. The talent's not the issue. It's it's a breakdown in communication, in my mind at least, from what Greg Berhalter's vision is, getting that to actually play out on the field. It's not it's not entirely working right now. We're going to get more info on that as these games progress. Tom, are you ready to dive into this roster with me? Let's do it. Let's get after it. Okay, let's start out with the goalkeepers. We've got three of them on this squad. First up, Matt Turner, Zach Steffen, and Sean Johnson. No, Ethan Horvath is a little bit of a surprise, but with the uh, the UK having some countries mm-hmm. red-listed still due to COVID, Panama is one of those countries, and that's the middle game of this window. So having two goalkeepers in Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath, who are both based in England, would present a bit of a challenge for that away day. So instead, at least my reasoning here, is that Sean Johnson's on this roster instead of Ethan Horvath. Does that reasoning line up fairly well with you, Tom? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And like, like Horvath was good in the Nations League, um, but I'm not as enamored by him as I am other folks. And and maybe it's just that I'm good with Turner and Stefan just playing every single game that we have for, you know, however many, however many years in the future until either somebody else comes in or, or whatever, you know, we've always had a, a deep goalkeeping pool. And, and then again, this isn't to say that Horvath is, is, is bad or, or doesn't deserve it, but I just think that Turner's should be the number one and, Burhalter didn't say that at the press conference, but he seemed to hint at, you know, Turner took his chance and, and this game's all about taking chances. And I, I'd be totally fine with Stefan starting either. So I don't, I don't know that it, it makes a ton of sense to have Horvath here too, to be the third string. And, and like you said, they would have needed to call up another goalkeeper and like an emergency if the red list country things hold, um, which I assume it will. But Burhalter said something to the effect of, you know, we're that, is a fluid situation that right, might right. not definitely be in stone. So, you know, it's just not worth the headache. Son Johnson is is a great locker room guy. Or if it was going to be Brad Guzan, same thing. Again, he's they're not going to play. It'll be Turner or Stefan, and it's just not something worth getting worried about. 
Berhalter saved the team manager some logistical work there trying to get flights <laughs> for, for Horvath and Sean Johnson just eliminated that issue altogether. Tom, do you think we're going to see rotation in goal from game to game? This is a hard thing to know. But for me, this job is Matt Turner's to lose at this point, even though he hasn't really been involved in the program for all that long. Do you think it's more likely that he starts all three or that we do see some back and forth between Turner and Stefan? I think that we'll see a little back and forth. And and again, this is more just a guess than anything, because I, I was pretty confident that both Turner and Stefan were going to get, you know, some combination of two and one in the first window. But obviously hmm. Stefan uh, had a positive COVID test, so he, he was ruled out and Turner got to start with three. So maybe we see Turner play them all. But honestly, I, I assume that we're all to go back to that plan of, you know, kind of given one of them two games and the other one game. So I guess we'll see again based on if, if Stefan can play in Panama or not, and, and based on if Turner, you know, is lights out, or if I'm just misreading this and, and Turner's already, you know, changed Berhalter's mind or, you know, set in stone. But again, he, he kind of hinted at it at the press conference today, but didn't flat out say it. So I think that leaves a room for rotation. Yeah. Okay. So that's the goalkeeper group. Let's move into the middle of the back line. As I read the roster, there are five center backs here. John Brooks, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, and Miles Robinson. Chris Richards is an incredibly exciting name to have read on this roster. I think it was anticipated that he would join this team now that his club situation has been settled a bit and he's with Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. Are you as excited to see Chris Richards in this team as I am? Because he is just a huge addition for me, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Doyle kind of, Matt Doyle from MLSaga.com, I'm sure Pete Doyle, first name, uh, first <laughs> reference was good enough for most people. But Doyle was, wrote this today and he said that, you know, I, I do think that we're going to come out of this where it's Richards and Robinson as the starting center back to. And, and you know, that is obviously taking a leap and assuming that Richards is going to come here and immediately show his quality in his form. And, and for what, a 20, 21 year old center back to not have any hiccups in his first experience with World Cup qualifying and CONCACAF in general. Uh, I don't think that that's fair to assume, but it's absolutely on the cards. And look, going before the last window, I would have said there's there's no chance. And Brooks would obviously be the alpha, but he was so bad in his minutes in September. And that kind of confirms the fears of he was so bad in away World Cup qualifying games in particular last cycle. I just, I don't know. And and he went from an unshakable number one and and everybody else had to say, OK, who's who fits best next to him as a partner? Like now, Brooks, it's, it's more that Miles Robinson is the anchor and all right, who fits best next to him. So I think that there's a real possibility that Chris Richards takes that starting job and and we're looking at Richards and Robinson moving forward. And credit to Miles Robinson for the work that he put in this summer, right? Oh, Shining fantastic. so, so hard at the Gold Cup, right? He was phenomenal. And he was pretty solid in this first window of World Cup qualifiers as well. I think he was one of the biggest winners on an individual basis in that group. He's not a perfect player. He still has errant passes when he's under pressure. He's not He's not flawless, but he's a strong option in the center back pool. John Brooks is as well. His his strengths and weaknesses are the same as they've been, really. We just see them exposed and see them up close at the national team level because we're all paying so much attention. Chris yeah. Richards, though, I think he has the tools to be the best center back in this group. And maybe he's not there right now, but he has the defensive mobility that Miles Robinson has. And he also has at least shades of John Brooks's passing range. He's not quite the level of passer that Brooks is, and he might not be quite as good of a defender as Robinson is. But given how young Chris Richards is, I think there's room for him to grow into that role. And this is a great chance for him, if not to be an every game starter in this window. Like you said, Tom, there's going to be bumps in the road. But for him to at least get acclimated and be in, I think this would be a second camp with the U.S. men's national team, meet more of these guys, get more time in training under Berhalter, even though that time's limited, and then eventually get on the field in these games. I agree with you. I agree with Doyle. I think we could 
could see Richards yeah. as as one of the two guys in this group going forward, Tom. And, and I'm glad that you framed it like that, too, where, where you said um, the first part of what you said was he's really good right now or, or he's 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 so he's it's not just about potential. And th- and that's a thing that I think that gets caught up too often when we're going yeah. like, OK, yeah. like, say, you know, a year and a half ago before Chris Richards went on loans off and I'm it's like, well, one day Chris Richards is good, should be the guy and we got to hope he's the guy. So he needs to play right now. And like, no, that's that's not how it goes. You don't win games on potential, particularly World Cup qualifying. You don't win games on potential. There is there is the argument for, you know, getting guys blooded in and helping develop them. But if he didn't have, if we were just talking about his potential and saying, yeah, one day he should be better than John Brooks, or maybe he'll be the best combination of Brooks and, and Robinson. Yeah, one day. But but like you said, right now, he's he's shown the quality in the Bundesliga. He's shown the quality um, in, in previous games. And, and again, he's he's earned the chance. And this isn't just because of potential. This isn't just panning forward on what he could be or what he might be. He's good enough to get in the door. He's good enough to get on the field right now. And he has room to grow. And I think that that's a really important distinction to make. We had a question from Sam Brown that we've kind of already answered, but I'm going to read it out anyway as we close the center back section and move on to fullbacks. Sam asked, what are the odds that we see a Chris Richards-Miles Robinson center back pairing? Uh, I think the odds are, are pretty high. At least the, at least it's not out of the question, right? And that could be in a back two. It could even be in a back three, right? Because there are five center backs on this roster. Baralter has used a back three shape a decent amount recently over the summer and headed into the September window. So there's no reason why we couldn't see Brooks, Richards, and Robinson. Maybe we'd see Tim Ream in there at some point like we did in the last window. Ream and, and McKenzie could very likely be uh, be in this group as well in terms of players who are likely to get minutes. So there's a lot of different ways you can play with the center back core, and that's that's only a good thing for Berhalter. Tom, let's move on to the fullbacks here. Uh, right backs, I see them as uh, I see there as being three: Sergio Dest, Shaq Moore, and DeAndre Yedlin. And left backs, you can have Dest in that group as well. But then you've got Anthony Robinson and George Bello. That Panama game could be a bit of an interesting one at left back, especially if those restrictions hold for UK-based players, because Anthony Robinson is the projected starter at left back, or at least he's mine, and he plays in England. So that could be a bit of a challenge. I think there's enough depth, though, here, right? There's not a ton of high-level players outside of Serginio Dest, really, and he's been a bit sketchy, or at least inconsistent, over the last few games for the U.S. men's national team. I, I don't see that Panama game, though, being a huge problem, Tom. Yeah, I hope not. Um, but they, they've kind of come out of the gate surprising a little bit in that first window for them to true, be on true. five points. Um, I think a lot of us would have put them at, at, at least the bottom tier, if not one of the bottom teams in in the octagonal. And that's not, again, to say that they're bad or it's an easy game, but it's just the relative quality that, you know, it, it's not away to Mexico. But yeah, as you put it, you know, that could be tricky. But, you know, uh Berhalter trusted Bello to start a Gold Cup final. Berhalter trusted Bello to start, I believe, the Honduras game off the top of my head, if if I'm remembering correctly. Some of these games are blending together. But, you know, <laughs> he's, he's earned Berhalter's trust in, in some of these big situations. And, and whether it's a back four or, or, you know, back three and then them playing as wingbacks, you know, I don't I don't think it should be a problem. It's not, you know, the ideal scenario to be to not be able to choose a player just because he plays in England and England have decided that he can't play in Panama. So that's obviously not ideal. But again, like you said, it, it shouldn't be a huge problem. And I, I should clarify when I'm saying it shouldn't be a huge problem. I mean, that specific rotation for left back and less so the opponent, because I think Panama, they, as you say, Tom, they have started well and it's hard to discount any opponent in the Ocho. So that's the fullback group. We'll talk more about some omissions and surprises in that group later on. Central defensive midfield. Uh, the lines are get a little bit blurry at this point between sixes and eights, <laughs> but Tyler Adams is the starter there. If he's healthy, he played for Leipzig in their Champions League loss. 
earlier this week, midweek, so at least he is working his way back to fitness after missing a game at the weekend for Leipzig. Tyler Adams, Callan Acosta can play the six or the eight, mm-hmm. and John Busio is in this group, which is a bit of a surprise to me. He can also play the six or the eight. He's been playing more of the eight for Venezia. Tom, were you surprised to see Busio in this group as well? I was. I was. I mean... I, I, you know, James Sands didn't co- cover himself in glory necessarily with, he, he didn't, you know, win his spot at the first window uh, and he, you know, hasn't been great for NYCFC recently. Um, but I still thought that his positional versatility was going to you know, at least put him on the squad. And and again, somebody who I think it, it's pretty clear that he's a good player and just hasn't been great lately. Um, but yeah, I mean, good for Busio and good for Berhalter. Like he, he had said at the, at the last window about there are a couple guys and Busio was one of them. Hey, like he just changed club teams. It, it, he already missed the beginning part of preseason of the Gold Cup. It, it doesn't make sense. And reading between the lines, it was probably a – it doesn't make sense for him to come here and play 15 or 30 minutes, you know? Like, why Why would we take him away from his club when he's trying to, you know, win a spot? And, and that's super important. So, he's been impressed with what Busio's done at Venezia. I haven't watched a ton of his minutes. I've seen some of the, you know, the all-touch comps and stuff like that. I've seen the results, obviously, which aren't ideal. And, and he's been playing a bit more as a box-to-box than as a number six, which I think could be – I guess an, an idea of where we might see him here, because I'm not sure that I trust him as a six in CONCACAF at this point, at this stage of his career. And I think that's where Acosta would more likely play. But again, I, the versatility there is very helpful. And again, I am, I'm definitely at least mildly surprised that he's in. The sixth depth chart does seem, the sixth depth chart, <laughs> not easy to say, does kind of write itself here, right? Tyler Adams, Calvin Acosta, and Busio in that order. I don't see it changing, really. And, and Busio getting minutes at that spot is pretty unlikely, at least in a single pivot type of, of thing. Right. Then looking looking towards the eights, which is where we could see Busio and Acosta, it could be between five to seven eights, depending on how Peralta looks at this. It doesn't really matter, right? Luca De La Torre right. is on this roster. Another little surprise. Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, and Christian Roldan, who could just as easily be playing out wide. In fact, that might be a bit more likely. This is a strong central midfield group, Tom. Weston McKinney being in here is is maybe not totally surprising, but at least is something worth noting, given uh, the fact that he got sent home from the last camp. But Yunus Musa being called in along with Richards, those two guys are the two players I'm most excited to see that weren't in the last camp. This is this is a pretty deep midfield group, Tom. Yeah, it's really deep. And, and I'm surprised at Luca De La Torre as well. Um <laughs> was kind of laughing about he he put up his own all touches comp or something <laughs> yeah. um, on Twitter, which I respect the hell out of that. Except like Such when I saw move, him put man. it up, I wasn't I wasn't aware of what happened on the weekend. I hadn't seen much Luca Delatore discourse, and, and of course I wasn't following Hercules Almelo um, very closely. When he put up the all touch comp, I was like, I'm gonna watch this because he must have had like three assists, and he must really be flexing. <laughs> there was a lot of like it was good stuff for like soccer nerds too, like a lot of good ball ball progression stuff like that. But it was a lot of slightly overcooked through balls, yeah. and I was like. <laughs> I was expecting like a mixtape. Like this is like zero mistakes. Uh, Every pass is going to be Chris. It's going to be Chris Sith. And it was like, it was a good comp, obviously. But I think that just because I saw his name next to it, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be good. But yeah, I mean, I would, I'd be surprised if he's not the last person on this depth chart um, for the midfield group. I'm not sure how many match day squads he's going to make. I'd assume that all the guys here are going to make a match day squad, if not multiple, just because then why would you call them up if you're just going to have them training here and making them take intercontinental flights? But, you know, I, I kind of rate all the other players in the central midfield group ahead of him. But, yeah, it's still going to be exciting to kind of see what he can do and, and maybe if we'll see a couple minutes. 
I think I fall too much into the trap of thinking that new players will fix things, right? And Luca De La Torre <laughs> is not a new player. Yunus Musa is not a new player. They're both guys though, who haven't gotten a ton of looks under Greg Berhalter so far for a, a couple of different reasons, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But they both do have that, that soccer nerd ball progression skill, right? Where they can yeah. get on the ball deeper and drive forward on the dribble. De La Torre, I think, is a bit more of a connector than Yunus Musa is. Musa likes to get the ball and just drive forward. Taylor and I call it the Musa maneuver because he gets on the ball <laughs> and really does slalom through uh, with Valencia. It's on the wing. He slaloms up that right side. Right. But both of those guys could help provide something in central midfield and give some calm and, and give some moments that help destabilize opposing defenses. So I really am excited to see those guys. I don't think they're going to have a game-changing aspect to these games. I don't think they're going to come in and completely flip things on their heads based off of what we saw in the last window. But they could help things a little bit, and, and that's encouraging for me. Tom, let's let's talk a bit more about Weston McKinney here. I don't know how much there actually is to dive into. You were in the press conference. I was not. What what was Berhalter's attitude towards this Weston McKinney situation now versus a month ago? What were the questions that were being asked to him about Weston McKinney? Where is this situation now, as you can tell? Yeah, it was consistent with where he was a month ago and kind of my read on the situation. It was um, he, it was one of the first questions and, and he even his, his response was good. I'm glad that we're getting this out of the way right now. Like, let's talk about this. And he, he was pretty much just like, look, he made a mistake. And he held accountable. He, he knew it wasn't right. He's well, I knew it wasn't right. And, and I've been preaching accountability in this group. So he was held accountable for a mistake. And as far as I'm concerned, that's it. Like it, it's in the past. You, it was it was dealt with. We've moved on. He's got the trust of his teammates. He, he He's he's, you know, apologetic and he's whatever. And, and he'll still be held accountable if something like this happens again, just like everybody else on the roster. But it's it's more it's more of a non story, I guess now or again, at least that's how he's he's phrasing it and, and framing it. But I'd like to believe him on this one. I think that it's something that's in the past dealt with, you know, punish uh, crime punishment. Let's move on and, and let's, you know, move forward. Yeah. And, and it's hard for us to read in any deeper than that, right? Because we're not inside this group. We don't know exactly what's going on and we don't know how players are responding to this situation and all that jazz. And they tried very hard to keep it inside uh, before the great work of, of Jeffrey Carlisle of uh, VSPN got the initial scoop. And, and I had a, had a little bit of info on that. Um, they, from what I was told, that there was a big concerted effort from the, um, you know, the coaching staff or whatever to, to keep that that information inside. Are you still, Tom? Are you still chasing that story? Are you still trying to learn more about the details, or is that kind of in the past done? No, I mean, Jeff had it, and um, you know, it was the frustrating fact is that it was you know multiple violations that happened you know the Friday and the Saturday, and and as I kind of added, you know, a, a very small advancement of that story was that after the El Salvador game, he was one of the leaders talking about. Um, hey, we need to need to be accountable. We need to be professional, all that. And then he was he went and um, brought somebody back into the bubble um, that was unallowed uh, against team protocols and discovered or whatever. We still don't know how they was found out, but that's probably moot point. That's you know, I think that's all there is to. That's all there was to it. No plus ones, folks. No plus ones. <laughs> uh, let's move to the forward line, Tom. Uh, you can see four to five wingers here, depending on where you want to put Christian Roldan. Brendan Aronson, Paul Areola is back in this group after injury. Tim Weah is back in this group after injury. And then Matthew Hoppy getting his first mm-hmm. call up for a World Cup qualifying window. This is a strong group. It's a talented group. Uh, but it is not Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna. And to be honest, that worries me a, a little. It doesn't send me into a full-blown panic when thinking about how this national team is going to perform. But Tom, do you think these players, Aaron Scenariola, Wea, Hoppy, maybe Roldan out there, whoever you want to put in wide spaces, tucking inside like Baralther has those wingers do, do you think that this team can threaten in the attack without Reyna and Pulisic? 
They're going to have to. And and there are a lot of talented players, like you said, like Brendan Aronson, Tim Weah, two Champions League players right now. Paul Ariola, a, a longtime um, king of CONCACAF, maybe king's too strong, but somebody who yeah, I'm not really worried about him being able to impact the game. It just depends on how much or let's say all three of them go cold or, or all three of them, you know, aren't like it, we need one of them to be really producing and really on the game. And as it's happened, you know, when it go back to the Canada match, when Reyna and Pulisic were out there, they weren't really creating a ton. Um, so it's not to say that they're impervious to that happening, but you trust their individual skill and their individual talent more than, than I guess this group. And again, that's because they're two of our, what, three or four most important players in the pool. So any team, any country missing that caliber of player is difficult, but you know, the depth here is strong. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but there is a scenario where it might be say nil nil in the 60th minute against Panama and and we're feeling like we're insipid and we're not really creating much and and kind of, you know, our best chances are either on a counter or off a set piece because when Panama gets into a low block, it seems like we don't have any answers. So I'm definitely concerned about that a little bit, but you know, the hope is is that one of these Champions League players or or this you know above average MLS or and and longtime national team member you know one of them and then Matthew Hoppy as well somebody you know can find a spark somebody can find that individual moment of brilliance to unlock a defense. And we had a question asked on Twitter from DM uh, who was essentially talking. I'm not going to read the question, but essentially was was saying, is there an argument? To, to be made that the U.S. might be actually more cohesive in the attack without Christian Pulisic. Because we saw against Honduras, Giorena was already out at this point, and Christian Pulisic went down with that injury in the match. We saw the U.S. turn things on in the second half, and there were a few reasons behind that that I think go beyond Christian Pulisic. But it is possible in my mind that that the U.S. will certainly attack differently without Christian Pulisic, but you have to, but that they may be more effective in moments because Christian Pulisic does tend to dominate the ball, right? And wasn't making the best decisions in that window when he was on the ball, right? He was drawing players in, but not then giving the ball up to a teammate and advancing attacks consistently. So I think, obviously, the situation is not ideal without Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna, but there is quality here, Tom. There is mm-hmm. there there are players here, like you were saying, that can do this job, at least theoretically. And it's possible that the attack functions better in certain moments without Christian Pulisic in a in a short-term sense. So that's my bit on the, the wingers, and we'll talk maybe a bit more about those guys later on as we build a lineup that, that we think we could see or that we'd like to see for the Jamaica game, that first World Cup qualifier of this window. But before we do that, and before we get into uh, one or two other things, let's talk about the striker core. Um, Two to three guys, depending on if you want Mm -hmm. to see Hoppy in this group or not. Ricardo Pepe and Giassi Zardes. This may be a bit reactionary after the September window, but for me, Tom, these guys are 1A and 1B on the striker depth chart right now. Does your depth chart look at all like that with Pepe and Zardes, or uh, am I just being too reactionary? No, I'm there with Pepe too. He he earned the the right to take the job, but for me, I, I wouldn't even go as far as calling it a depth chart for this position because I don't think it's defined at all. I think it'll just mm. be like Pepe played really well against Honduras and, and he should probably start the first game. But if he goes, say, the first game and doesn't look great and then 50 to 60 minutes in the second game, we're going to see Zardes. And then we're going to have questions about, okay, maybe Sargent has another chance, maybe DK has another chance, or whatever. I think that this will be a revolving type of fluid situation where, I mean, we can call it a depth chart, but it's going to change game to game until somebody, which I, and I think Pepe has the best chance of doing this, proves over, you know, five games or whatever. Um, you know, we don't have that much time when it comes to a 14-game World Cup qualifying window. But just in general, until somebody puts it over a representative sample size that, okay, this is the starter 
And these guys are the people, you know, vying for either minutes off the bench or if they go three at the back, maybe they go two forwards. And, and this is a way to get two guys onto the field or Hoppy can play wide or Sargent maybe can play wide, whatever it is. So I think that right now I wouldn't even call it a depth chart because it's just a grouping of guys who are all going to keep getting chances. And right now, Pepe should be that first guy up. That's a great point, Tom. It's like it's a cluster, right? It's not <laughs> defined. It's not one, two, three, four, five. It's not that clear, right? It, it would be ideal for that to be the case, but it's not. And you make a great point. It is, Baralder's in a spot where it makes the most sense, from my perspective at least, to play the hot hand. And Pepe's, yeah. maybe his head is, it's the hot head after that goal he scored against Honduras. <laughs> but Pepe is the hot nine right now from a national team perspective. Zarda's coming uh, back from an injury with the crew, has been playing recently and now being brought back into camp. That move makes a ton of sense to me. And, and I, I would not be surprised at all to see him start or get significant minutes in this window. But yeah, there's not really He'll a reason. Start once at least, I think. I, I think that, th- that there's no chance that he won't. There's no reason not to ride the hot hand barring rotation, right? Because you're gonna need you're gonna need minutes spread, and yeah. you'd write about that, Tom. But I think the striker core makes sense. There are some omissions here that you could point to: Daryl DK, maybe Jesus Ferreira, uh, Josh Sargent, obviously Jordan Pifak. Those two guys, especially, uh, obviously were involved in the last mm-hmm. window, and neither one performed all that well. So I- I'm not upset particularly about the players that were called in. I think it makes sense, and I, I like Hoppy right. being kind of this wild card option as well, right? Yeah, and, and even look at that, you just, the, the three names that, that missed the cut. How far below, air quote, uh, Zardis is Sergeant P-Folk and TK? It's not that much. Like, like you could, if, if we laid out this roster and I think Pepe was the real lock, and then if you pick, just pick two of Zardis, Hoppy, P-Folk, Sergeant, and DK, I don't think that there could have been too many arguments. I think that that these guys are all so close and... Again, it's like the whole the old football argument of if you have two quarterbacks, you don't you don't have any quarterbacks, and and maybe that's the thing. Maybe you'd like to have one guy really separate themselves, and they do. But there are a lot of options, and it doesn't look great when, say, in the first couple of games of the last window before Pepe got on the field, that those options were not doing well, and that's when it really feels lonely. But when you have kind of a run where you know at the Nations League and Gold Cup was a good example, and you know DK didn't perform very well due to injury and and, and congestion and, and just you know not playing well. But when when you had P folk playing well in Nations League, and then you know name all these forwards or that that scored a goal or two over the summer or or in the spring, like that's when it feels good when you say, okay, we have a bunch of different options, and 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 it's not like okay, if if Pepe doesn't score today, we're screwed. Who who are we going to even turn to and try to? All right, we can throw out this guy who's probably not good enough, but whatever, we need to try somebody else. Like these guys. You know, it'd be better if there was a more defined depth chart. It'd be better if one of them was Lewandowski, obviously. But look, like, I don't think that the forward, you know, grouping is in as bad of a spot as I think some made it out to be. All right, Lewandowski is filing a one-time switch as we speak. Perfect. (laughs) Got that written down. So that's the roster, right? We've gone through all 27 names. There are some surprises. We've talked about the Weston McKinney situation is an interesting one. Sean Johnson, me included, in the goalkeeping pool is is an interesting one as well. De La Torre, Shaq Moore is a bit unexpected, but I I thought he was at least decent enough at the Gold Cup. It it doesn't really boggle my mind that he's in here. It doesn't blow my mind that he's in this group. Matthew Hoppe and Paul Ariola being in is is not all that surprising either, especially with Areola. I kind of expected that because he is a player that Berhalter does seem to really like. Omissions, Tom. Let, let's let's quibble a little bit like we led uh, the show with, like you led this show with. There are some players that didn't make the cut that are in some interesting spots, or in some weird spots. Sergeant and Pfock we just talked about. It seems to me, at least from what I understand, that those two players just missed the cut. 
right? Baralter didn't uh, didn't want to bring them in over other players that he chose to include in this roster. James Sands, a similar situation. Two players that we haven't talked about, though, and I don't necessarily think there are complex explanations for this either, but I do think it's fair that we mention them. Conrad De La Fuente, right, was called back in, was, was called in in September. That was the second call up under Great Baralter. Not in this group, um, as far as I'm aware. Again, similar situation to PFOC and Sargent and Sands. Just left off this roster. The one, though, Tom, that is is maybe the thing I'm most quibbling, quibble-ready with on this roster is Walker Zimmerman. Uh, he didn't yeah. play in the last window. He was called up, and now he just wasn't called up at all for this particular camp. I don't I don't get it, Tom. I'm a big fan of Walker Zimmerman. I think he's been excellent for Nashville this season. I thought he was good at the Gold Cup as well before he went down with an injury in that tournament. Am I am I missing something on Zimmerman? Or I don't know. I don't talk me off the ledge here, off of the very small ledge that won't actually hurt me at all when I fall. <laughs> no, I'm I'm right there with you. Like I, it, it's just kind of been a theme under Berhalter that he's he just must not rate Walker Zimmerman that highly. Um, when he was winning Defender of the Year and and before that, it seemed like. He was only getting looks in the January camp, and then that was it. When when the full pool was available to be picked from, he, he wasn't there. And then he was finally getting his chance at the Gold Cup, and unfortunately, he got hurt. But, you know, I, I under that, I was I, – again, I would pick him and if this was me. But I was surprised last window when he was picked just because of – I didn't think that Berhalter rated him very much. So mm. then I was like, oh, maybe he does. Maybe he has impressed him. He didn't play. I guess that makes sense. And then I thought he'd be here this window, and he's not. So, I mean, I don't know. I think he's just going to be one of those guys who are – a bit of a tweener, a bit of, you know, if he gets hot or if he, if he I, don't, I just don't think that Berhalter rates him all, you know, as highly as, as I guess some of the rest of us do. And and that's, again, these are things that we'll quibble over. These are the things that I'm sure the coaching staff and and uh, Brian McBride kind of argue about or, or talk about and discuss and lay out. So I think that he's right there. But I, if, if I had to give a reason, it would just be my assumption is that Berhalter just doesn't rate him as highly, obviously, as like Miles Robinson or somebody like that. And then you look at it, and I, I still would bring him in over Mark McKenzie, but you could talk me into, okay, if the sixth center back is going to be a 21-year-old rather than, you know, a 28-year-old, I get it. So, I, I mean, I get it. And, you know, I, I would take him over Tim Ream, but if you wanted to talk me into the fifth or sixth center back is going to be a veteran who knows the program in and out, great locker room guy, I get it too. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. That's just where I'm at with that. The perspective is key, right? This is not... This is not the biggest omission. It is a miss for both of us, it sounds like. And I yeah. think you especially miss Walker's Zimmerman's set-piece ability because really, yeah, when, when the possession play has been as stale as it's been for the U.S. men's national team, having players who can provide at least a marginal bit of value in other phases of play is important. And I think you lose that by not having Walker Zimmerman in this group. Chris Richards, who is the player that was sort of like-for-like like, you know, put in this roster over right. Zimmerman, uh, is not this giant set piece threat either. So it's not no. like you, you solve that problem. So that is a tough one for me looking at this roster, but it's not all that important in the grand scheme of things. The next player that I want, uh, I want to pick your brain about, Tom, is another one who I think falls into that category, but who has less familiarity with the national team program. It's Joe Scally. A lot of folks seem to be pretty upset about Scally not being in here. Uh, the fullback for Bruce Hamilton and Gladback, formerly in NYCFC's uh, setup in Major League Soccer. We had a bunch of questions about Joe Scally come in on Twitter. I'm mm-hmm. just going to read one from James B. Chaka. Why no Joe Scally, James says, especially if Berhalter is reaching for Bello and more and has the squad room. Uh, Tom, what what's going on with Scally here? Why is he not in this group? And I'm guessing the answer is for the same reasons we've already said. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised there too. I, I thought that particularly given the sense that he's not just has the ability to play both right and left back, he, he's doing that for Mujan Gladback. It's not something that's in theory. It's something that he's done in practice. 
And those players are super valuable on rosters when if you can have somebody cover two positions, it, it, it's really, really nice. And and he's somebody who is obviously, you know, small sample size because he's got, what, five or seven appearances, whatever it is for Mucin Gladbach here. I get it. But I thought he was going to be called in. And I think that he's going to be called in in the near future if he has another month in October like he did in you know August and September. I can't possibly imagine him not being here for the next window. So, um, yeah, that was definitely surprising. Maybe he's just, I don't know, like Shaq Moore played well at the Gold Cup. Maybe that's part of it because he wasn't on the last roster, if, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Not necessarily throwing him a bone, but showing to everybody, hey, you did well at the Gold Cup, and, and hey, I haven't forgotten that, and, and your performances here matter, all that. I'm not just taking the, the young kid just for the sake of it, but I don't know. I thought that he was going to be a player that was involved in this group, and he wasn't. You know, I think that it won't be too long until he gets his debut, so uh, we'll just have to wait a little longer. And Baralter told media that he talked with Joe Scally, and, and that's yeah. a good thing. I think, by and large, Baralter's done a very good job, at least as far as I can tell, communicating with players in these situations and keeping touch with those players and letting them know that they're valued. In, in this quote from Baralter from his press conference that was floating around on Twitter, mm-hmm. I had a call with Joe probably about 15 minutes ago before that press conference. I was explaining to him the reasoning, but also letting him know that he's a guy we're excited about. So Baralter clearly knows what Scally is doing. He ended this quote, at least that I, that I found, with what we're talking about right now, Baralter said, is guys who have somewhat been through it before, mm-hmm. likely talking about World Cup qualifying, then ended it with, we're looking, uh, we look forward to getting Joe integrated. So from those comments, we can read between the lines or just read the lines and say Baralter <laughs> wants people that have been involved in these types of game bef- games before, or at least been in the program before, which I understand to an extent, and I have sympathy towards Baralter in that way, right? I can sympathize with him because it's hard integrating new guys, I can imagine, on a personal, tactical level, on a lot of different levels. At the same time, though, Tom, Busio and Richards are, are now involved, right? <laughs> Matthew Hoppy's involved. And those guys have been in camp before and Scally hasn't. But, I mean, they haven't been in World Cup qualifying before. Yeah. And they haven't it's the same really thing been with Shaq tested. Moore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, those, these guys, maybe except for Richards, haven't been tested at the level that Scally's being tested. I think he's playing higher quality opposition than Busio's played with Venezia and Serie A. Yeah. So this is, this is a tough one. This is a quibble-worthy player. He wasn't going to be a starter, right? In in most situations, there are injuries that can happen. We saw that happen in the September window. So it's not out of the question that he could have played, but he's still raw, man. At least he was at the beginning of the season. I need to to go back through and watch more footage. He's not the finished product right now. So again, I I understand the frustration here, and I can get a little bit bent out of shape about this one because I do think Joe Scali has a lot of tools to be a good player, but I don't think it's totally crazy that he's not involved in this group. Tom, one more player I wanted to talk about before we get to our lineups here in just a moment. Yulian Araujo. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some tweets going out, uh, going out on Twitter about Yulian Araujo. He wasn't brought into this group, wasn't brought into previous groups. He has turned down call-ups before. Uh, it seems like the writing on the wall is uh, not at least written in red, white, and blue font for Yulian Araujo. No. Doesn't look like that. Um, <clears throat> um, when the first reports came out, I don't know, two months ago, maybe around the Gold Cup, somebody reported that he had already filed his switch to Mexico or made up his mind, whatever the framing was. I was told at that time that wasn't true. I didn't run with anything because I was, when I was talking to people, I was saying like, look, this could just be semantics. And if he makes up his mind in four days and picks Mexico, I'm going to look like I was wrong, regardless of if I was right at the time or not. So I knew that then. Um, I haven't heard anything definitive in my reporting today that suggests otherwise, but it's a different tone. It, instead of saying, Hey, he hasn't made his mind up yet or whatever. It's, Hey, I can't tell you anything or I can't say anything. So uh, if you read between the lines there and again, and Berhalter's exact quote was, um, you know, that's information that he's going to share with the group. It's not for me to share. 
that sounds a lot like that he's in the process of switching to Mexico. And again, I'm not saying I'm not reporting that as fact. I'm not I'm not putting my name on that. But if I had to make a guess, it it, it sounds a lot like he's going to Mexico. And, and if you're and if you're Julian Araujo, um, I'm certain that he feels um, tied to both countries culturally and everything. And and I wouldn't be in his brain for that. So I'm not even going to speculate on any of that. I just assume that he feels strongly about both countries. From a soccer standpoint, you look at Serginho Dest, you look at uh, Jack Moore, Reggie Cannon are, are two guys who are probably going to fall away a little bit. DeAndre Yedlin, you look at Joe Scally now, there are Brian Reynolds. There are so many right backs in this pool and there are so many young right backs. And I, I think the world of Rao, I think that he'd be somewhere Honestly, right now, because Brian Reynolds seemingly hasn't played in a year, he's, I'd put him ahead of Brian Reynolds. I'd put him ahead of Shaq Moore. And depending on how much longer Reggie Cannon's on the bench, I'd probably put him ahead of him too. But if you're Julian Araujo, you, I don't know the Mexico depth chart inside and out at, at right back to that kind of level. But if you look at that, you'd be like, damn, man, like that's, that looks pretty tough to break into. And, and just, just again, this is leaving out how, whatever he feels about both countries culturally, whether he feels sure. 50-50 or 100-100 rather, or, or he's leaning one way or the other, just from a soccer sense – it makes sense if he goes to Mexico. And again, I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's not a shock to see this happening or to see what we think is happening, happening with, with Yuena Rao. It's going to happen with other players. It's happened with players mm-hmm. in the past. And, and that's the reality of the situation. David Ochoa making that move recently. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, of logic behind what seems like Yuena Rao is going through right now. Tom, we've talked omissions. We've talked some surprises. We've talked the roster. I, I we miss real quick. I just yeah, one please. more omission just to put it on the record. I don't think that he was within. Real consideration to be on the roster, but I do just want to point out that Georgia Mihailovic has, has leveled up this year, and he's been awesome for, for Montreal. Again, I don't think that I, – I wouldn't have called him in over anybody who got called in, but, but he deserves to at least be kind of on the radar as, hey, like this is what this guy's doing. Don't forget about him. Maybe he's not there yet, and, and maybe there's a, maybe this is where he peaks, but if there's another level to reach, he's somebody who could kind of be in the Paul Areola, uh, Christian Roldan category where he's maybe not going to be on every single roster, but he's going to be somebody who kind of has a chance and, and is within the discussion. I love it, Tom. Okay, let's let's move on to our preferred, somewhat realistic starting 11s for that Jamaica game on October 7th. Uh, do we want to go position by position, Tom? Does that work for you? We can just go back and forth? Yeah, works for me. Okay, okay. So I've built, I, I've built my lineup out of a 4-3-3 shape. I don't know what shape you're yeah, in yeah, right yeah. now, but either way. Okay, so we're both in that 4-3-3. We both got a goalie. For me, it's Matt Turner. Tom, are you yeah, in the same yeah, spot? Yeah. Okay, Matt Turner. Uh, who are your two center backs, Tom? Uh, so... This is this is best 11 versus what would you do for Jamaica are, sure. are kind of the two things. I think that I would go with Miles Robinson and and John Brooks because I'm not playing Brooks at Panama. At this point, he's not playing in a way CONCACAF match. So I would start him here just to get him a game and then probably play Chris Richards or somebody else against Panama. Ah, oh, that's such an interesting one because I have the same pairing, John Brooks and Miles Robinson yeah. as the two center backs. I don't know you're about to disagree with me. <laughs> no, no, but but the reasoning's hard, right, for that Panama game because in my mind, the three best center backs on this roster are John Brooks, Robinson, and Chris Richards. But mm-hmm. which is better or worse, right? Throwing John Brooks into True. a game in Panama or throwing Chris Richards in a game in Panama. And this is when I'm glad I'm not Greg Berhalter, right? Because yeah. I don't have to make that call. And it might end up being Tim Ream or a back three in Panama. And maybe this is a different discussion because those rotations and those covers look a little bit different. But it's not an easy call still for if we're maybe setting those other games aside i do have john brooks and miles robinson as the two starting center backs in my back line tom fullbacks i've got serginio dest at right back and anthony robinson at left back i think 
I think those are pretty obvious, especially because, as we've discussed, Anthony Robinson might not be able to play in Panama. So you want to get him minutes. It doesn't make sense to slide Dest over to left back in that first game, in my view. And it doesn't really make sense to start George Bellow either. Play the guy who maybe can't play in the second game. Yeah, that, that, yeah, and that's super easy and super simplistic. I don't have anything else to add. I'm with you there. Okay, midfield core me, Tom. Who you got? Uh, so again, I, the, the whole best 11 versus this game, I I really don't think that you can play Tyler Adams 270 minutes again, given that he did that last. I would love it. I would love them to, but just look at the last one. He goes back to Leipzig and gets hurt. Um, and thank God he, that he just came back in time for this one. He's got 11 minutes under his belt. We'll see what he does this weekend. Um, if you're going to start him two out of three, I'd probably rest him against Jamaica. So I, I'd put Kellen Acosta holding kind of underneath of whatever this down. Yunus uh, Musa and Wes McKinney. Yeah, I, I've got the same ideal three. I would start Adams in game one mm-hmm. and maybe slide Acosta into that sixth spot for the Panama game. We're likely going to see some formation tweaks again. So it's not it's not as easy to just go from one to the next in the same shape as I'd like it to be for the sake of this conversation. But Tom, <laughs> I can't really argue with your reasoning there, right? I mean, either way, the goal is to protect Adams and to save him as much as you can while still getting as much out of him as you can at the six. And then McKinney I argue Musa. with my own... I argue with my own reasoning a little bit. Sorry, Coach Roll, But just because like, I was going back and forth on that, where it's like, all right, I want him to start every game if you're the coach, and, and he's so important to this team. But then it's like, all right, what's more likely to win against Jamaica without him or win against Panama without him? And then it's like, take a step back. It's like, no, let's just – like maybe just get the three points here at home against Jamaica and then figure out whatever else. And, you know, everything else will be a little easier. Um, so, like, maybe maybe I'm overthinking it, and maybe I'm, I'm doing too much of, like, a football manager thing and, and not, not <laughs> something that's sustainable. And maybe maybe it doesn't make sense to play him if he's going to play two out of three if those two are going to be back-to-back. So, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I'm wafering on my own decision here, so I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. Again, you said un, unenviable position. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's why, again, we're glad we're not Greg Berhalter for a number of different reasons, at least I am. The eights are a little bit more logical. You mentioned McKenny and Musa. I've got the same. Uh, those are just the two best eights on the roster, at least I, I think so. Um, the forward yeah. line, Tom, at wide, I have Brendan Aronson and Tim Weah. Any any arguments there? Totally with you there. Yeah, I mean, most of this just picks itself, right? And then the nine, I'm almost certain we both have Ricardo Pepe, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a pretty chalky, pretty straightforward roster, and it does get much more complicated as we've kind of dipped our toes into when, when you think about the different rotations that have to happen. And so it's not yeah. going to be this simple. But if people are healthy coming into this camp, if people are able to make it through those few days of training without picking up any knocks, this this lineup that we've just mentioned, mostly agreeing, 99% agreeing, it feels pretty likely that we could see that happen against Jamaica. And if so, that roster and that that starting 11 and the bench options that Peralta has, it's good enough to get those three points, Tom. Yeah, completely agree with you. And again, even if if it's Adams or Costa, if it's Brooks or, or Richards, if it's Pepe or Zardes or, or any any other, you know, one-for-one switch here or even a handful yeah. of them, I, I think any combination of a realistic starting 11 should absolutely get the job done against Jamaica at home. And again, hopefully, I, I don't know what their, I don't know if their roster's out or not. I don't know what the status of Mikel Antonio is and, and a couple other of their kind of English-based players and, and whatnot. So we'll, we'll see with that, which makes them a lot more difficult than they would have been in September. But, you know, this is just yeah, it's must win would be silly. I don't, I try not to do the, you know, the stupid sports talk radio crap where, you know, <laughs> must, must win. Okay. If they lose and then win their next six, they're fine. But you know, this is a game you got to win. This is, you just got to beat Jamaica at home. You're the United States uh, men's national team. This is World Cup qualifying. This is where you get points when your home games. Tom, we've talked roster. We've talked lineup. We've talked emission surprises a little bit about that Jamaica game. Anything else before I let you go? No, I got nothing. All talked out. 
Okay, plug uh, real quick. Get untalked out for just one second. Plug your stuff. Let people know where they can find you on Twitter, where they can read your work, and then we'll get out of here. Nice and easy at, at Twitter, at Tom Bogart on Twitter, you know, MLSsoccer.com. I assume if you've stuck around listening to my nonsense for this amount of time, you've either you either follow me or have considered to follow me and decided not to. So I'm not sure what the plug is at this point. So I respect your decision either way, sir or madame listen to this. Oh, Tom, that was that was beautiful. Thanks again, <laughs> Tom, for coming on the show. I do really appreciate it. Cheers, Joe. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. And the Total Soccer Show will be back again very soon.